morning routine. <laughs> Love to hear it. Oh, my morning routine. Um, yeah, no. So I, you know, I have to get up and get my son to high school. So I make his breakfast and get, try to get him out the door. And then um, I meditate and then I try to do a workout. Um, today I took the dog out, try to get the sunlight in my eyes for about 10 minutes every morning. And then get ready and go to work. That's usually my morning. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So love to go back a little bit now and ask about your background and how, how you got into veganism as well. Veganism? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm a practicing internist for about 27 years. And when I first came out of residency, I did internal medicine up in Boston and super subspecialized area. We kind of learned about how every system is different. We spent a month doing cardiology, separate from GI, separate from nephrology, kind of left thinking that everything is like, you know, on its own and independent of each other. And then when I started actually practicing, it was very different, you know, kind of, I, I just got very tired as an internist, you know, basically putting out fires, which was I have this ache and this stomach ache and this, you know, whatever the symptoms were, it was like we gave a medicine and that medicine caused more problems. And I just felt like I never was doing much in terms of healing people, got very little education about what actually a diet looks like that's healthy. We had like maybe two hours of nutrition, all of med school. Um, so I kind of left with just meds as my options. And then I was getting more and more frustrated about that. And I, I started doing, I fell into acupuncture. So I uh, started doing acupuncture, got me on my path of healing versus just putting out fires. And that got me into functional medicine, which is really going after the root cause, going after physiology. You're listening to Sharni Vision Podcast, a Punjabi lifestyle podcast where I spotlight a Punjabi living their aligned life. Sashriyakal and welcome. I'm your host, Supreet Sohi, skin therapist and life coach. On Sharni Vision, I bring you a new guest each week to share their courageously aligned journey. My goal is to share their journeys and stories to awaken your inner lioness or lion to follow its soul's purpose. Let's join the conversation. You were talking about how you got into functional medicine. Right. So it was a lot of it was functional medicine, root cause, you know, trying to figure out what each each person's individual breakdown was like. And um, and that really created a lot of passion for me because it was much more um, helpful to understand how someone's breaking down from their stress, they're not sleeping, their diet, their poor gut health. And then I started learning about the gut microbiome and all that it does and nourishing it. And uh, basically my journey took me to, um, you know, writing a book about chronic illness and uh, partnered with a cardiologist and we we just wanted to teach patients and providers actually about really the systematic breakdown that's happening based on life and stress and our food quality and what kind of food. And I just felt, you know, going into my own body, learning about fatigue and, you know, my issues of health, which were not too significant, but still things that made me tired or didn't make me work optimally, didn't let me perform 
um, my, you know, exercise regimens, I've done triathlons and things like that. So I was, I'm always on a mission to kind of improve the quality of my own health. And I just found that my journey with meditation, yoga, do all the things that I talk about with my patients have really helped. And along that, the most important thing I think is your diet and high nutrition and getting away from animal products and really removing dairy for me. I was always a vegetarian, changed my life in terms of allergies and energy and having brain fog and cognition. And I think also balanced my hormones. My, my personal journey along with the, you know, research and looking into um, all the research that's out there to, for health and longevity really kind of got me to the point of becoming a vegan. Mm. So you were already traditionally vegan too, but actually putting that education behind it pushed you into more veganism. Well, I was vegetarian. I ate, vegetarian. I ate, I ate um, quite a bit of dairy. I had cheese sticks and yogurts. And um, honestly, that was my lunch because I didn't ever have time to eat during patients. I would just pop a cheese stick in my mouth or, you know, something that was quick. And um, one week I just forgot I couldn't get to the grocery store, so I didn't have anything to kind of have a, as a snack. And uh, I had more energy. I wasn't feeling tired. My allergies went away. And that's kind of was, was that aha moment for me because it took me a week to figure out why I was feeling so good that week. Mm. It was because I dropped dairy. And so I do my best. I kind of, you know, try um, as hard as I can to stay away from it because it do actually doesn't make me feel good at all. It's not even a... It's not even like a chore anymore. It's just I eat the way I feel well, you know, I feel yeah. well. It's a food plan that just keeps me working optimally, you know, sugar, yeah. processed foods. They just aren't, you don't feel good. You just feel kind of sluggish and your brain doesn't work as well and you can't get enough done and you feel sleepy. I don't know, all that stuff. It's just I think that's the kind of message I'd like to send to patients and people is that it's not about a diet. It's really about listening to your body. It's telling you symptoms all the time. And um, I think that, you know, we need to pause and kind of listen, which is why I like things like, you know, introspection and meditation and contemplation, because we don't stop. We don't stop to listen. Like when our car light goes on, you know, the oil lights flashing, we stop the car, we take it to the mechanic, we don't put a big duct tape over it, right? So mm -hmm. we kind of do that all the time with our bodies. Our bodies are constantly telling us signals, but we just kind of duct tape it and keep moving. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, you kind of break down. People are like, oh, I can't lose my weight. I don't know why I'm so tired. My joints are starting to hurt. I'm, you know, just small things, but those build up. And then all of a sudden you have a diagnosis, hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, you know, hopefully not, but cancers and chronic illnesses on the rise, you know, autoimmune disease, there's all sorts of medical illnesses, but they don't start overnight. They don't, you just don't wake up with it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so really it's about kind of listening to your body, paying attention to your lifestyle. And, you know, I can't really preach it if I'm not doing it myself. Right. So. Agree. Agree. Now, how would someone transitioning from and I always tell my clients and friends and family as well the same thing is vegetarian first just don't go vegan but how would you you know suggest someone to go into veganism or how to take baby steps into it or do you yeah. have a, a way yeah well so I think it's not just being a vegan to be honest it's about being whole food plant-based mm. so there's a lot of you know, bad diets that are vegan. It's, it's more about the whole food concept. So I try to, I don't 
tend to use that word as much anymore. I tend to use more whole food plant-based because yeah. I want to eat the food, not the processing of the food. So if so, the first step I say to people is look at your diet, try to get rid of the processed foods, the high preservatives, the sugar. Um, I mean, you can't, you can't eat, uh, you know, um, French fries, French fries is vegan, you know, and chase it with a box cereal and a Twinkie and, you know, all that is vegan and then eat a bowl of kale and say, uh, you know, I'm doing my body good. That's not the pro the problem is we're eating way too many poor nutrients. We're not getting enough nutrients. We're getting nutrients, a lot of chemicals. Yeah. We're getting a lot of preservatives. So actually what I try to start telling people to start with is to get, look at your diet, start looking at labels, start shopping at the periphery of the grocery store, try to get whole foods first and maybe make your plate half whole foods fiber. Uh, the concept of fiber, which is um, comes from plants. So it's uh, unprocessed, typically seeds, nuts, beans, legumes, grains, um, vegetables and fruits. You know, those are loaded in fiber and start paying attention to how much fiber you're eating. Naturally, when I give people a goal of getting 40 grams a day, that's a tall order. Like you have to pay attention to what you're eating and half your plate typically will have to be something fiber filled. Um, otherwise, you're not going to get to that 40 grams unless you're doing smoothies and stir fries and sauces all day. And, you know, it's very easy to do it once you pay attention to it, but mm -hmm. it's just a tall order. So if you start first going with getting rid of the non, the poor quality foods, which is the processing and the preservatives and basically the refined sugars and the grains, and you move towards more um, whole foods, that's a big step. I think that actually is the first step before you start eliminating meats and dairy and all that other stuff, because that can come with time, because as you change your gut microbiome, as you increase your fiber and you give your body more nourishment, you're going to crave less of the bad stuff. Yep. So mm -hmm. a lot of times people suffer from cravings as well as I do. When we're tired, when we're stressed, when we're depressed, when we're anxious, we crave comfort foods. And those are typically loaded in fats and salts and sugars. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, so if you start to pay attention to eating more fiber, then you will start changing those gut bugs, changing the cravings. And you can, it, it becomes as an easier transition um, to go to more of a plant-based whole food program. Mm -hmm. I agree. It is the baby. St like, I agree. The whole base, whole, um, whole plant is definitely the way. And it's um, the stir fry, like you mentioned, it's something, you know, I see our DCs do a lot is like they tarka the shit out of, you know, vegetables yeah. and it leaves no, none of the nutrients. And I've been trying to explain my family. I'm like, you know, just leave it a little bit, you know, yeah. leave the crunch yeah. to it. Um, maybe a little bit just to like heat it well, up. And I actually love, um, just cooking in water, like a little bit of water. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a concept that I think is very foreign to a lot of people, including myself. I was like, you have to add oil, right? Because we yeah. that's just something that we've grown up with and you actually don't. The taste for me isn't that different. I know other people with kind of more sensitive palates taste the difference, but you can cook things with water. And it's, and you can add, you know, spices and herbs to it and garlic and onions, and it tastes amazing. And you don't wind up needing a lot of salt or sugar or oil when you're kind of just, um, you know, experimenting with spices. 
That's why mm-hmm. I love spices because, um, you know, with Indian food, it's great. We, we naturally have worked with spices, but the standard American diet, the spices are salt and pepper. And so there's not a lot of experience with, um, you know, doing spices in general. But I think growing up Indian is, has been a big boon for me because we're just very comfortable throwing um, yeah. you know, different spices into our foods is like I would love to hear your opinion about like I know you're already saying staying away from packaged food but a lot of people have clinged on to the impossible burgers and um to find these frozen foods which is great to have on hand once in a while but I feel like some of them have just incorporated into their diets which is not as healthy um what are your takes on that so that's the processing part, right? So yeah. there is processed and it's the whole concept of it's it's vegan, but it's mm-hmm. not healthy. So the saturated fat content of the Impossible Burgers or the Beyond Burgers are pretty much, they're just a little bit better than a regular burger. Um, but there's a lot of processing involved and there's preservatives and it's not, it's not the whole, it's not the whole food. So you're not getting, um, you're not getting the nutrients that you think you're getting, and you're also getting a lot more fat that you were hope you weren't getting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's once in a while I think it's fine, but you know I think everybody has to just be more intentional. So th- what what I just like to do is educate people on it's not good or bad. It's just what's a healthier choice. And sometimes you don't have one. Sometimes you're hungry. You're at a restaurant, and you know that's all you have. You're at a meeting. You know you don't want to be starving. And it's okay, but know the difference between what's healthier for you than not, right? So um, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll pick the I'll pick that too based on how hungry I am, um, and based on what my choices are. But I, you know, I prefer to try to plan for things that are going to make me feel better because after I eat something like that, I generally don't feel as optimal. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, when you start paying attention to those things, you'll naturally try to avoid it next time because you're just going to say, well, my gut's not going to do that well. And I'm just not going to be as sharp and I'm going to be more sluggish when I eat that. And so anyway, it's, it's a journey. And I think just uh, the, the thought of paying attention to those foods and reading labels is really important because I think it's, a, you know, you have to be your own advocate. You have to pay attention mm-hmm. to what you're putting in your mouth and it's only going to be you. It's not going to be your doctor, or your mom, or your sister, or whatever. They're going to make recommendations. But if you become your own advocate and you become a smart consumer, you'll easily start to see how kind of poor the quality of the food is in the market right now. Yeah. So I, they see women. What with all the hormones that we deal with, that you recommend implementing into our diet. Yeah. So, so again, it's, it's what we're not eating. Um, hormone Mm -hmm. imbalance is very, very, very common. Uh, part of it is because we get estrogen through, we have, you know, we have a couple of hormones that are big players, estrogen and progesterone, two of them. And our, um, cycles are estrogen dominant in the first half of the cycle and progesterone dominant in the second half of the cycle. And the ratio of, um, estrogen to progesterone is what's key in terms of keeping our symptoms at bay. So whether we're postmenopausal, meaning lower levels of estrogen and progesterone, or during menopause or in transition, it's the two ratios that are very important. But we get estrogen from the water, the plastics, some of our food, the antibiotics that put it are put into the meat, the cows and the milk products. You know, we're getting estrogen through 
other sources. And there are chemicals out there like BPA and phthalates that mimic or, or estrogen, they're hormone disruptors. So they, they change the quality of the, the hormones pathways and they kind of give us more of that estrogen dominant picture where there's too much estrogen and not enough progesterone, which is probably the root cause of 80% of hormone issues. So very simply, it's, you know, doing small things like don't cook in plastics, don't drink out of plastic bottles, don't keep your bottle in the car, don't heat up the plastic Tupperware in the dry in the dishwasher and store your food in it. Um, stay away from dairy would be the first thing I would say, because dairy has a lot of lot of impact on hormone imbalance. That's the first thing I usually ask people to eliminate. It also is a big cause for um, leaky gut and ability, uh, mm-hmm. which can lead to more food intolerances, which can kind of fuel the fire of inflammation and imbalance in hormones. So that's a place to start. And then eating foods that are very high in nutrients. So seeds and nuts and sprouts. I love cruciferous vegetables for hormone imbalance because it helps us get rid of estrogen dominance. And sprouts like broccoli sprouts are actually one of the highest in a in a nutrient called sulforaphane, which are mm-hmm. very, very helpful for detoxification in the liver and helpful to get those extra non-favorable estrogens out of our body and bring us more into balance. So cruciferous vegetables, berries, sprouts, um, high nutrient foods, along with avoidance of dairy might be a good start for people to kind of look Mm. at a dietary change. I love that. And very similar to like where my, um, when I educate my skincare clients is, you know, get off of dairy because of you know their pimples and breakouts and then as well as looking into diets um like you mentioned pineapple is something that i always recommend because it's basically a sunscreen it's and you eat it um and so adding those kind of whole food ingredients into your diet um definitely helps the body overall yeah just adding like a lemon into your water Mm -hmm. can help you um, create a different pH balance in your body, help you digest foods better. It's just Mm -hmm. a very, it's a very easy thing to do. And that's, you know, you can, we can use our beverages also like cinnamon in your coffee and, you know, things that are, again, like masalas that we use, they're, they're helpful. They're antioxidants, they're anti-inflammatory. Pineapples have bromelain in them. They're anti-inflammatory. So, you know, we have packaged uh, capsules of bromelain for joint pain and arthritis and they come from pineapples. Yes, you have to eat a lot of pineapples, but the point is that foods can be our answer. And sometimes the inflammation is not just coming from what you're not eating, like you're not eating enough pineapples. It's more coming from you're eating too much sugar. You're mm-hmm, eating too mm-hmm. much processing, which is aggravating your joints, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and, it, and also a manifestation of our gut health shows up in the skin. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so imbalances within our microbiome and in our gut can show up as rashes, as, as early collagen breakdown stressors. You know, we've seen the presidents age faster, right? And in four years, they look so much older because of all the stress they have on them. Um, and stress is a big aging component. So elasticity, dark circles, pigmentation, um, acne, all of these things that can be related on the skin are coming from we have some control with our choices with lifestyle. So, you know, getting restful sleep and um, getting uh, a mind-body connection that's keeping our brain calm, lowering our cortisol, eating foods that are high in nutrients that can help at oxidation and 
you know, all of these stressors create oxidative stress in our body and we need antioxidants to combat them. And those are found in plants. So, you know, you, you can do the peels, you can do all sorts of things, but you got to, I think, start from internal. You start to start from within. Yep. I agree. Your lifestyle. It, I, I tell clients all the time, I was like, it doesn't matter how many treatments you do. It's about the internal work. They're, they're not yeah. going to last until you're working from the inside out. Right. Um, and I love to hear your take. Like everybody talks about all these different diets and I know you mentioned it's not a diet. It's more of a lifestyle, but even you know, finding that, um, switch or turn right um you know some people talk about oh my lifestyle is too you know busy I just yeah. can't sustain that lifestyle like even me I do find myself a snacker I do eat a lot but I guess what is the healthy version of being uh, vegan or plant-based like how often to eat do you tend to eat more or it really depends on your meals well I think it's a very personal choice I think in general eating in a smaller feeding window is always optimal. So for example, if people can limit to 12 hours a day eating, it sounds a little crazy because we sleep from probably we should be sleeping for eight of those hours. Um, but if you can, you know, end your last meal around six or seven and eat your first meal after 7 p.m., that's 12 hours where your body's getting rest. Now, most people can do that. Um, there are some medical issues where diabetics and if they're on certain medications, they're going to need to eat, um, you know, a little snack before bedtime. But most people in general can use do a 12-hour window. And the studies have shown over time that um, decreasing your fasting window, because I think the other issue is that we can't get away with things that we used to. Like, so when you're in your 20s, late 20s, when you're in your early 30s, you know, your body starts changing, your hormones start changing, your growth hormone starts changing. So you're going to build body fat in different areas. You're going to have more insulin resistance. And your eating patterns have to change based on that too. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're eating five small meals a day, even if you're eating in a, like I try to push my patients to like an eight hour feeding window, most of them um, where you're either eating from like 10 to six or something like that or whatever. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be perfect, but that's the goal is to try to get a smaller feeding window. Um, but if you're eating five snacks, that's okay if you're not someone who has insulin resistance because every time you eat, there's probably going to be an insulin spike at some point. And that contributes to when you eat carbohydrates that turn into sugar, you need insulin to get those that sugar into the cell. And every time you eat, you get a spike in insulin. And that might work for the person who's not insulin resistant. That might work for a younger person. That might work more better for certain diagnoses. But in general, I think two or three meals, four hours apart, um, at least two to three hours apart is the general trend we're going to now versus a grazer. Um, mm. and I used to be a grazer and I could do that when I was younger. I cannot do that now. I cannot do that now because I will gain weight and I will feel more sluggish and I do get more of an insulin response. That's just a function of my hormones and where I am in my life. So I think it changes. It depends. And in general, I think fasting is a fasting and periodic fasting. You know, most cultures have had fasting as part of their regimen for thousands of years. And it's mm -hmm. because of that rest. You're giving your body a rest. You're giving the liver a rest. Just like we need to give our brain a rest with meditation, quiet, and stillness. Very important for our healing. And it changes the gut microbiome in ways that um, creates resilience, turns on resilience genes. And so I actually do um, different types of fasts with my patients and up to five days sometimes of um, water fast type 
diets called fasting mimicking diets. We've done it mm. as a group with patients. We do detoxification regimens. So I do think that cleanses and detoxes and fasting regimens are very, very critical for aging and for overall health. Um, in general, for eating, I would say um, lowering your feeding window. And if you are a grazer, that's fine. As long as your numbers are okay, you're not pre-diabetic, you're not hypertensive, it works for you. I've tried to push some people past a certain window, like they can't go to eight hours. They eat in a 10-hour window because why? They feel tired. They feel lethargic. That's not good. I don't want that either. I, I think it's a personal journey, but I think most people are eating in too long of a window. So mm. starting with that shortening of the window of feeding and then trying not to eat too close to bedtime is also a really important concept. Um, we are built around the circadian rhythm of the sunrise and sunset. And so our body's physiology, hormones, neurotransmitters, chemistry does better as the sun rises. And when the sun sets, everything starts to slow down. So some of the studies have shown that if you eat the same bowl of pasta at night versus at 4 p.m. or 3 p.m., you're going to gain more calories from that pasta just because our hormones are processing it different, our gut processes it different. So we don't want to eat too late into the night and we don't want to eat too close to bedtime. I really like the concept of a continuous glucose monitor because it's very um, enlightening for people to understand what their bodies are doing with the food information they're giving it. And one of the themes that has emerged with my patients as a result of this is that if I walk 20 minutes after I eat, my sugar stays really low. And that's mm. an easy concept. But most of us, what do we do after dinner? We sit down, we sit down, we watch TV, we check our emails, we're not moving. So yeah. the concept of eating early enough to go for a walk, maybe a small walk, maybe a 20, 30 minute walk would be great, especially now that the days are longer. But if you come home and eat at 10 o'clock at night, you're naturally going to probably just go to bed after that, right? So if you can push that feeding window to ending your day um, three hours before bedtime, at least you have some activity built in. Um, because one of my other concepts is to sit less, work, you know, move more. And if we can move a little bit more before we go to bed, that will help us process our foods better, digestion. It helps our GI tract much better. We actually sleep better. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just, um, those are the concepts I think that most people can do if, you know, sometimes scheduling won't allow that and it's okay. This is just most of the time to try. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, just like you're saying, you know, you, you were putting in the work and you, um, have to take action in order to, or your machine is working right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. all of it is geared up and working right. And, it's what you put in and what you put in is what you're going to get out. Um, exactly. Like I, um, during the time I can always crave like a bag of potato chips, you know, and, yep. but it's usually, and I don't think my diet was as good this past month. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I'm craving it. Um, and there's some times where my diet's so good that I don't even realize when I get my period, yep. um, there's no pain, no nothing. Like, I literally have to put it on the calendar, like to remind myself I had it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a but it really just that microbiome, and because the microbiome actually helps us with our hormones, it helps us with the nutrients that balance our hormones. It does a lot for us. So what we feed that gut bug, we really get out as the output. Um, and you know, it is normal to crave foods during your cycle. There is that physiological mm -hmm. difference that happens. 
Um, we do become more magnesium deficient. So that chocolate craving a lot of people get, you know, mm -hmm. dark chocolate has magnesium. And I don't have a problem with dark chocolate. And I don't have a problem when people um, succumb to the cravings a little bit, but to do it in the best version of that, um, whether it's the potato chips you're craving or is it the salt that you're craving, you know, so maybe doing salted roasted cashews or something instead of mm. it's just one of those things where maybe you can feed it something a little healthier but you're still gaining what your body wanted which was salt or magnesium or whatever it was trying to get because our bodies are smart we it makes us crave what it's needing um kind of like when we're super tired or we're super you know we're sleep deprived our body's craving sugar and that's because you know our cortisol's up and our cortisol is saying that I'm run down. I need to, you know, and the answer to that at 10 o'clock at night when you're craving sugar is to go to bed because your yeah. body's saying, I'm actually tired. I need to go to sleep or you need to feed me because I can't keep going. Mm -hmm. Right. So the answer would be to the right answer would be to go to bed if you can. But those are signals. That's what I'm talking about when your body's constantly sending you inputs of what's missing. And if we listen and we're intentional, we're going to figure that out. Yeah. A lot of people are just really disconnected with their body and not able to these signals, you know, they don't realize it until it's, you know, literally bleeding, you know, or something. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that, but um, it's not until there's a in your face kind of moment and then they start realizing signals. But it is very much important, like you said, to the dry skin, to, you know, not sleeping. It all is a factor of what you're putting into your body and your lifestyle. Right. I love that. Um, so I think it's more important as we age. Yes. Speaking of aging, like in our mostly our basic diet is vegetarian. Um, you know, do you get any sitbacks with elderly um, transitioning or how do they usually how do you transition into um, a plant based? Yeah. So most of the elderly, I think, are already, you know, the classic Indian diet with legumes and beans and dals and veggies and the rotis and, you know, the rice, it's all, I mean, it's highly uh, plant-based to begin with, whether they have meat or not, you know, it's, it's mostly plants. And I think that's great. Um, so I, I think the biggest issue for me is always the dairy, you know, the chai mm. that needs the, the perfect milk, the, the milk is only coconut milk doesn't work, oat milk doesn't work and almond milk doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, I struggle this with my family as well, trying to get people off of dairy. You know, they, they like what they like. After a while, I give up the fight. But um, at least, you know, sometimes what they do is they find, I said, I, I'll just ask them, I'll just, just do it for four weeks. Just try to get mm -hmm. milk in here. There's And coconut milk and almond and oat milk. There's a Chobani creamy oat milk yes. that seems to work for people. <laughs> um, and there's also pea milk, PEA milk, which is really hard to find, but it's so yummy. Um, mm. And it can work really well in chai too. And I think that just, I ask people just to try it for four weeks. Please give me four weeks. And oftentimes at the end of four weeks, and you have to press them, how did your joints do this week? How did you feel? Did you have more energy? How about your clothes? Did it fit a little different? Like most people lose a little bit of weight. Their joints feel better. Their belly feels a little bit better. They're not as gassy. You know, there's just this something small that just almost gets them to, the best story I had was my, one, one of my relatives has RA and I asked him to give up dairy and he reluctantly said, okay, because he was so frustrated being in pain. Four weeks later, mm -hmm. he's like, my pain's 50% less. 
A month, mm. two months later, his pain was gone. And, you know, he's on meds too, but, but the point was that he significantly felt a difference, but it's not going to show up in a week. Yeah. Know? So you have to do it for four to six weeks. Um, and so I think what that makes me happy because, it, you know, nobody has time or energy to sit on top of someone and watch what they eat, you know? Mm -hmm. I think everybody has to be self-motivated. And yeah. um, whether it's a child, I mean, you have to take care of your kid. But after a certain point, that kid can go to the neighbor's house and eat whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> so the point is, like, you, you don't have a lot of control over what other people eat. So if you just give them the right tools and you ask, like, the, the right questions. But afterwards, you know, you have to ask the right questions because most people say, I didn't feel any different. You didn't feel different? Your pain's not different? Oh, yeah, my pain is different. I'm taking less Motrin. You feel your bellies? Oh, yeah, I'm not gassy. Yeah, you're right. I am not gassy. So you have to kind of press them because most of the time they're just saying, ah, this didn't work. I didn't, I didn't really notice anything. But the data really shows it's much, 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 much healthier to not have cow's milk um, for many reasons, including cancer prevention. So as we age, you know, risks of chronic disease, cancer, um, so many illnesses go up. And, you know, just by eliminating dairy and moving to more of a whole food plant-based diet, you can make a big dent in that risk. And it's so interesting. I, I guess I would love to hear your take on this as well, like how the milk industry promotes it as women's health, you know, for bone health, milk yeah. products. I mean, there was just a big one about um, Hailey Bieber, I believe her name. She was promoting milk. Um, but yeah, it's an outrage how they think that's connected. And but yeah, yeah. I mean, vitamin D and uh, is very important and you can yes. get vitamin D through other foods that are fortified. But, you know, at the end of the day, most of my patients are taking supplemental vitamin D because it is such an important nutrient. We check blood levels and you take a supplement. So, you know, it's risk benefit to take one supplement for vitamin D versus drinking milk, which can cause so many other medical problems. Mm. I don't think it's worth it. Calcium, same thing. There's many, many ways to get calcium, not just milk. So I don't even understand with pediatrics why they keep saying that because it's so frustrating. There's other foods that are loaded. Greens are loaded in calcium. Seeds are loaded in calcium. And so when you have uh, alternative, I think we just need to be educated. And the lobbyists, mm. quite frankly, for milk do a good job. They, they promote, they have great ads. And, you know, it's also built into my culture, right? All of our culture. Yeah. We, we have seen, I, we've had like, you know, when I grew up in India, we had cow's milk from the cow delivered to our yep. front door, right? So it's been, it's in, it's ingrained in us that milk is part of the daily regimen. And so it's a very challenging, hard thing to change. And honestly, I wouldn't have, I don't know that I would have come to it unless it actually happened to me. And I, you know, I didn't have that for a week. And that's what started me on that journey was about 13 years ago. And uh, I couldn't believe how much better I felt. So I, you know, then you start looking at the research and the data and you're like, wow, this stuff has been out there for a long time. Why isn't anybody mm -hmm. talking about this? <laughs> Seriously, it amazes me too. Every time I learn something new about it, I'm like, oh, you know, how it's helpful and beneficial, you know, would, you know, it was for my overall body health, but now it's become even more, it, it's like my lifestyle. It's like for the animals. It's um, oh, yeah. for the there's earth, yeah, you for know, the earth, for the environment. Sure. There's multiple reasons to do it. Right. Yeah, I would love to. So where can we get your book? Uh, my book's on Amazon. It's called Body on Fire. And then there's also a cookbook, Body on Fire cookbook. Um, oh, my co-author is uh, Dr. Monica Agarwal. She is a cardiologist and also has gone through her own journey with RA, 
rheumatoid arthritis, which is autoimmune disease, and she pretty much, um, her journey's in the book of how she healed herself um, by getting off of dairy. And uh, all, our, all our recommendations are based on evidence and research. Um, so we are both, as physicians, trying to empower patients to take charge of their own life. And really, there's a lot you can do. You know, I, one thing that isn't true is, you know, your genes aren't your destiny, right? So a lot mm-hmm. of people feel like this is my, my mom had diabetes, my mom has this, my mom has that, and what am I supposed, of course, I'm going to get it. That's not true. Most of the time, most of the time, it's not true. Even for certain illnesses that are highly genetically transferred, it's still not, most of the time, it's still not 100% transference rate. So our lifestyle choices matter so much. And um, I think the earlier people understand that and we have more, so much control of our, our, our destiny, our health destiny, um, it's very empowering. And it's, and it's very, very exciting to know um, because of epigenetics, we know that we can change the way our genes present based on lifestyle choices. And finally, the research is out there that's showing this and it's a very exciting time. So I hope people, you know, read our book and also kind of understand um, that it doesn't have to be everything all at once. You can take small baby steps, but the more energy and the more the good, the way you feel, because most people don't even know what good feels like. Mm -hmm. They're just running and they're, you know, not listening. And it's so transformative. It's like, wow, I I cannot believe. And this happens to me all the time when I try something new. I was like, you know, now I'm doing this new meditation and it's just a new feeling of feeling great. And you just don't even know until you try it. Um, so it's very exciting. Um, that's amazing. Well, is there anything else you want to tell the listeners? Uh, no, I'm just, I just think that, um, uh, you know, start your journey by anywhere you want. So, you know, I lecture to multiple different groups and I lecture to a lot of plant-based groups who are already doing, you know, really decent on their diet, but they don't feel well. And I just want to remind everyone, it's not just about food. It's about sleep quality. It's about your stress Mm. level. It's about your movement. It's so don't put all your eggs in one basket, start one place, but then look broadly into other things that you can change in your lifestyle, like sleep, movement, um, and also mind body stress is very prevalent. It's a tough, tough world out there right now, tough times. And, you know, we see a lot of negative negativity. And I think trying to work on being optimistic and hopeful and daily practice of meditation or breathing is yeah that's great because I do think that it's a very important thing to do um, as a nightly routine as much as a daily morning routine is um, I've recently started it as often as I do my morning routine but I think one of the biggest things that I need to do is um, you know I eat pretty early um, I have about two to three hours before bedtime I try to get to bed at 10 which mm. is because uh, I wake up at six, but I um, I don't always get there. And honestly, right now is really bad time for me because I discovered Succession. <laughs> I can't <laughs> stop watching it. <laughs> but aside from that, I try not to watch anything um, at night. I try to read a book that really calms me down and puts me to sleep. But I don't I don't try to watch the news. I try to just do things that are relaxing. And, and actually for um, a period of two months, I'd started doing like a relaxation yoga routine, which really helped my quality. Mm. Just um, a yoga with Adrian video for 10 minutes on bedtime yoga or 
cool down yoga or something that's just relaxing yoga with a lot of breath work is hugely helpful for sleep quality. And I don't always get to it, so I don't want to act like, you know, I'm doing this all the time, but I keep remembering how amazing it is. So ideally what I'd like to do is to eat around six or seven, you know, get everything wrapped up, walk. We walk every day, try to walk about 30 minutes after we eat. Um, and then we, you know, slow down, read a book and, um, you know, fall asleep, maybe try to do a 10, 15 minute yoga and hopefully sleep uninterrupted till six. But that's the ideal. That's not how I love them. You know, you have to have a couple of different little things in your, you know, pocket yeah. to use from. And, you know, you can't about watching a movie um, show here and there, you know, but if you have a bunch of things to rotate, you know, it keeps it all balanced and harmonious. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I'm very much about sleep quality. If I don't sleep, I'm just really not useful the next day. <laughs> so sleep <laughs> is everything to me. And so I really try hard to try to get a good night's sleep. Um, and I also want to plug in for naps because when you get a chance yes. to Naps are amazing for, for a lot of people. Not everybody does well with naps because then they can't sleep at night. But if you are someone who can take a 20 minute power nap and, you know, get on with your day and still sleep at night, that's, it's a wonderful way to restore. Um, in my ideal life, I would like to be able to, even in my practice, um, it's very uncommon for me to, to have time for a nap, but I would love to have a break in the afternoon <laughs> to take a 20 minute meditation slash nap to recharge and refresh. It's just amazing mm. when that happens. I love that. I used to do that with my kids. Now it's like, to like literally schedule that in. It's like, no, I'm going to try to go to take a nap. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, this was amazing. Thank you so much oh, for taking the sure. time out to chat with so me. Fun. It was very fun to have you on. Thank you very have for having me. All right. Well, you Thank you for listening to Sharni Vision Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It helps other lioness find the podcast. Stay connected with me on social media, on Instagram at Sharni Vision. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get notified of weekly episodes, affirmations, healthy lifestyle tips, vegan recipes, skincare product recommendations, and newly added Sharni Life's Monthly Book Club. I'll see you soon. Sashiakal.